Welcome everybody to the Healing Place podcast. I am your host, Terry Welbrock. Super excited to have with me today, Jazz and Paul Farr. Did I do it? You got it spot on. (laughs) Welcome. Thank you very much. It is so good to be here. It's really exciting. Well, I am just absolutely thrilled to have you. When you reached out, I was like, yes, yes, yes. I want to have you on the show. This is fantastic. So yes. So talk to me about what it is you're doing. Um, I, I know I'd watched your TEDx, which everybody, if you're listening, you need to go watch it because, um, yeah, just beautiful. Yeah, get, get a tissue first and don't watch it if you're about to go into a meeting or, no. or have dinner with someone because <laughs> you will be flooding, just crying floods. So make sure you have a tissue at hand. Yes, and I, I, I absolutely agree because I, I bawled. Yes, it's beautiful. <laughs> Got to my heart. <laughs> yeah, I have that effect. I make people cry. It's it's not it's not a skill I knew I had. Right. But, um, <laughs> and I'm sure it's useful in some way. But yeah, it's it's um, and I think it's just the vulnerability. And that that's I mean that TEDx was so interesting because I I'm a literacy consultant. I'm passionate about reading, writing, and spelling. When I was at school. You know, I, was, I had an awful childhood and reading, writing, spelling my tickets out of mindset poverty, not just physical poverty, but mindset poverty. So, so I'm, I went into teaching, I became a teacher, I'm very passionate about literacy because I, you know, it's a travesty that children are leaving first grade education without that, you know, they go to high school without that in place, that's not on. So, so I'm very passionate about it. And, um, and I got, to a, I got to a talk, there's like 300 leaders there and I'm doing a talk and I, I sit looking at these people and I think, you know, what would happen if I just told the truth? What, what would happen if I just told the truth? Because I spent my entire career in teaching, trying to blend, you know, because all yeah. the leaders I could see, they were white and male and middle class and I am none of those things. <laughs> so I, I'm trying in some way to like blend in with, with this hair and an enormous bottom, but I'm trying to just like blend in. And, and so my whole kind of 20 years in education have been about trying to, trying to be acceptable in a way that I thought was acceptable and, and keeping, keeping the, the, the unsavory parts of my past out of the way. And, um, and so I was never true to myself never true to myself because um, I was scared you know fear was driving my bus I was scared oh I absolutely get it I've been there done that yeah go, I mean, go tell me yeah I mean I just I hid my story for so long because yeah, um, yeah I, I was just afraid of of letting that truth out there so I totally understand and mm-hmm. by the way I love your hair I'm just saying oh, hang on. <laughs> it's not not everyone looks it's just me and Beyonce really yeah. not everyone looks like <laughs> but it is it is that thing of i'm not good enough what will people think if you know i i can't i don't i won't it's that kind of language structure that we use and and i i just felt like people i was changing i was traveling around the world speaking to governments changing the whole all of the whole of trinidad switched to this way of doing literacy that i'd suggested and it just didn't i just didn't feel any I was just like people saying oh my god you've changed my life and I'm like that's great that's really good but I didn't because I knew that I you know it wasn't coming from a place of truth and so I but but also I was was so scared so I stood in this crowd I changed my slides and I said look I know you guys are exhausted and you could be in a wine bar you could be you know out on a date but you came here on a school night in the middle of exams 
to find out how you could do the best for the students you serve. And I want to tell you that your impact can't be measured in grades or in data. Your impact is in what happens when you're not even in the room, that what you do is, is years later is still flourishing. And I am a product of that. I should be dead. I should be on site board. I should be a prostitute. And I'm not. And it's because of you. And, and, uh, the very thing, the very thing that I was terrified of, the vulnerability that I'd hidden for so long became the very thing that people took agency from. And, and someone had done a little video and it went viral the next day. I've got one of the biggest publishers calling me saying, we want to do a book with you, offering me a book deal. Then TEDx said, we'd like you to speak. And, and everything that I was afraid of, everything that's happened has been on the other side of that fear. And suddenly I find myself living an authentic vulnerable life because everybody wants authenticity yes. nobody wants vulnerability <laughs> and they, they are together yes authentic without being vulnerable but nobody wants to talk about the vulnerability bit and um and it's it's just there's something liberating and redeeming about being able to speak the truth and I, and I, I've always, I never wanted to be, I'm not interested in, I was born a poor black child, you know, because I was, but it's, that's an X Factor backstory. That's a, like America's pop idol back, you know, they've all got really good backstories. Oh, everybody I know died. Right. And it's, all, it's like, yeah, yeah, great. Okay. We've all had, we've all had crises. We've all had chaos in our life. But I, I've never wanted, like I spoke to my 12 year old son and I said to him, how do you feel about mommy, you know, writing the book and doing all these talks and traveling the world and you know, because if you ever felt uncomfortable with it, we'd talk about that and we'd, you know, I wouldn't pursue anything you weren't comfortable with. And he said to me, you know, mum, I don't think it matters what happened when you were a child. I think what happened next is what matters. And you should talk about it because people need to know that they have choices. Aww. That's a 12 year old boy. And I know adults that don't get that. So, so for me, it's, it's, it's really being able to be honest and not being afraid and inviting other people into that space in order that they can reconnect with why they are doing what they're doing, why they started being that doctor, that social worker, that teacher, that artist in the first place, and, and, and make sure that their impact is to the maximum. It, it's, it's really around that. And I, but I have fallen, I mean, I'm not, <laughs> I'm such an accidental hero. I would much rather be reading my book than, than having written it, totally. I, I'm, you know, <laughs> I'd much rather not be in this space. But it's, it's just something about, what other people, that the strength that other people get from seeing you wearing your scars and saying, this was me, but it will not define who I am because I choose something bigger. Yes. Amen and hallelujah. Incredible. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. So what are you doing now? Are you, you're doing speaking engagements and... Yeah. So I'm, I'm a, <laughs> I hesitate to describe myself as a motivational speaker. Because it depends what, uh, what time of day you catch me. But yes, I am I, I'm an international speaker. I travel all over the world. I work with industry and commerce, leaders mainly. I talk about embedding ambitious resilience and um, finding, very Simon Sinek, standing by your why, finding your kind of purpose, embedding that the resilience is really important because I think people yes. think resilience is putting up with it and that's not it. You know, it's something very different. Um, I, I speak into vulnerability and um, kind of touch on the truth about you. You know, our Brenny Brown talks about shame and I'm, I'm very much, what is the standing on the truth about you and, and getting really clear on what that is in order to, you know, there's a, there's a place where I go and in the bathroom it says, uh, a, a school that I'm doing coaching in and it says, please leave this bathroom as you would expect to find it. And I thought, 
not good enough. So I graffitied this sign to <laughs> please leave this bathroom better than you would expect to find it. And I left my tampons there. And then I went back a couple of weeks later and someone had left a deodorant. I thought, oh, we're on to something. Then I went back and someone had put an inspirational quote on the wall. I went back and the walls have been painted. And now it's a nurture room. People go there to hang out and support oh. each other. But, and I think that's what we're trying to do. Leave the planet better than when we found it. Not as we'd expect to find it. There's no growth there, is there? Right. Better. So, that, so that's what do I do to contribute towards that? What does that look like for me? What a beautiful sentiment. Yes, and I love that idea. Absolutely. And taking, you know, I tell people, I too had a horrific tw first 22 years of my life. And, you know, I take yeah. what I call the gifts within the chaos. I found the gifts within the chaos and yeah. take those gifts and, you know, pay them forward. And um, yeah, and so it's, it's beautiful for those of us who have been through that trauma but and been isn't through. Isn't it interesting? I love that, the gift within the chaos. But the thing about, it's like resilience. The thing about the gift is that while you're in the chaos, it does not like a gift. It does not right. feel like a gift. It no. feels destructive. You only realize it's a gift once you've gone through it. And I think yeah. a lot of people are stuck at the like I, I share, I'm very open about being like, I, I lived with my, my biological mom, my stepdad, who was violent, he was a drunk, he beat us, he physically abused us, verbally abused us. And I was raped by him from seven years old through till 12. Not, not just by him, he would sell me out to other guys as well. Oh my and, gosh. And my whole mindset was that I am broken and I am worthless and cheap and dirty and guilty and I'm worth nothing. And anything that was disconfirming data that came at me from school in particular, against that, I, I, like, I had a physical reaction, like an angry, sick, physical reaction to praise or to encouragement or to someone believing in me because it couldn't be true because this is who I am. And if, if that's true, then I, I have to unpick everything about what I know and I can't. I am, I am not even human. I am worth less than a human. And, and it's almost there's comfort in that. There's kind of security in that because it's, it's the truth. About yes. Me. Yes. I've told people that I've said to people before that there was my sister and I have talked about that a lot with our childhood. Um, I said there was comfort in the chaos. And so when we got to adulthood, we found ourselves in chaotic relationships or chaotic yes. situations to, to recreate that. Yes, because there was yeah. comfort in that. And, and I, I get that feeling of worthlessness and, and just yeah. Um, yeah. I always thought for years, you know, like, did I have some sort of tattoo on my forehead of why I kept being molested by various predators, why I was, yeah. you know, it's about, it's me. It's yes. Me. Yeah. Well, and yeah. that energy, I think I had such a vulnerability about me and, and predators, predators are drawn to that. Well, gosh, if your business is manipulating people and here's what predators are great at enrolling they're much better than than typically parents are they're much better than t schools are they're much better like marketing marketeers know how to enroll um you know gang members gang leaders they know how to enroll drug dealers fantastic enrollers but the pe you know and if, if if you haven't been enrolled into a great way of thinking then these people are there ready to oh, right yeah for me it's, it's that kind of they entice people with empathy it's three e's they entice people with empathy they engage them in a conversation and then they enroll them to taking the behaviors on that they want and for me it's all about belonging they make you feel like you belong and this is it's not being needy needing to belong that's a human need it's a basic human need right. so when someone offers you that that invites you into belonging it's incredibly attractive especially if you have unmet needs 
as a child of, of not having that, it's it kind of, because I always thought I was carrying some, I had a backpack on that I couldn't take off and it was full of all this stuff that I needed someone else to sort out. So I was always kind of trying to offload and can you sort it out? And then people would get overwhelmed or scared. And, and the one person who didn't do that, when I, when I ran off when I was 11, um, I, I fled 11, 12. I, I, my, my mum got pregnant again for fifth child, for fifth child. Um, and whenever my mum got pregnant and she went to hospital, the abuse got worse. And so I just, I was, and I, in school, we'd done a, we'd done the period talk, the sex ed talk. And I'd watched this video and I realized that what my stepdad was doing is how you get pregnant. And I just like broke. I, not on the outside. On the outside, I perfected my yeah, what face, but on the inside, destroyed. And I, I remember I ran to the toilet and I was sick in the toilet. And I, I was sick and I was crying and I was clearing the sick up because you can't leave a mess. Right. I, oh. And then I, I, and I, I didn't have, there was no one I could speak to. There was no one I could tell. I was on my own. I was scared. I, I thought, I don't know about you, I thought that the, the, the adults at school knew what was happening to me at home and they were okay with it. I thought they agreed with my parents that I was worthless because I got similar, I got shouted at, I got told off because I challenging behavior. Actually it was distressed behavior, but it yes. wasn't similar. So, so I thought it was, so I had no one to speak to. So I ran, I, I lived on the streets and I ran off. And after about three days, I met a guy, an amazing human called Jason. And he was, he enrolled me straight away. Why, why are you on the street? Who's looking after you? Have you eaten? Do you need food? Come on, I'm going to get you something to eat. This is ridiculous. Let's get you, come on. We need to get you warm in it gave me his coat, let me stay at his house, and then took me shopping. And, it, and I'm 11 years old, and I'm standing in this changing room, holding a dress, he's outside. And that, I, I'm, I'm just, I know it's not right, I know I'm not safe. And I look at the dress, and it's not a dress, it's like lingerie, and Jason isn't a kind benefactor, he's a pimp. And right. he's an 11 year old out there, and thinks, bingo. And, and, I'm, and my brain, you know when you get off a plane, when you fly some, another country and you get off a plane and your phone is trying to connect to the signal in that country. That's like, I was like that. I was looking at people going, is, who can help? Is it you? I, uh, but there's no one and I'm alone. And my brain starts scanning in this like noise. My brain starts scanning for what, what, what could you do? What can I do? And I remember my first teacher when I was at school and all I can think of looking at this dress is there is no way that Mrs. Cook would wear I remember thinking brown was like a uniform for teachers. And that's literally, and I haven't seen her in seven years. She taught me when I was like six, five, six. And that thought was, I dropped the outfit. I ran out of the, I, across a main road, straight into a police station, slammed my hands on the counter. I demand the right to remain silent. And the guy's like, okay. But <laughs> it, it, I, I'd been in and out of foster care. So I knew, like, I knew foster care wasn't Cinderella happy ever after. But in that moment, I did something that would make Mrs. Cook proud. And that is the difference that people make in your life. It's not, if she did reading tests, do you think I, I think about her reading tests with a no. special fondness in my heart? What I remember is that she believed in me before I could believe in myself. And yes. when I was in a state of, what do I do? That's where I, I landed. And without knowing it, that woman saved my life. Saved my life. Yeah. I belong to an online community called ACEs, which is Adverse Childhood Experiences, ACEs Connection. And they talk about resilience a lot. And so I started talking about resilience when I share my story because and my grandma Kitty and my second grade teacher, Mrs. Corkin, 
those were the two that built my resilience and helped me wow. reach this place because Mrs. Corkin lived a few streets away and I could walk to her house and I still have a little ceramic heart that she had given me oh. it was like a little treasure chest and I would keep little treasures that I had inside of it it was very tiny and my dad in one of his rages one time when he threw something at me hit it and it shattered and so I remember gluing it back together because this was such a treasure yeah. Yeah. and again it wasn't I can't remember what she taught me in school yeah. but how she just accepted me and loved me um, and just let me be me um, was just she had a huge impact on my life totally get it yes it's amazing isn't it and then and then for me I'm like because I can't track down there's five I worked out there's five adults five teachers they happen to be for me and I had them at different stages so that there was always one person who was invested in me and I, I I've tried I can't track them all down and thank them and the ones I have tracked down and tried to say oh my god you changed my life have been like you're doing well good keep going uh, like it's not a big thing because for them it's like this is what I do <laughs> but I, I just think it's for me what I can do is be that I can pay it forward I can be that person yes to others and and that requires that requires me to process the things that hold me back process any trauma that I've got that is holding me back to be compassionate to myself to understand that I have choices rather than sort of I can't choose I've got no choice this is just how it is that's a defeatist language and and to understand that you know I really feel my default setting is depression I, I feel that's even now I feel that's my default setting and this is a choice I make every morning when I wake up I choose to live my life as someone who is grateful for all the things that I have survived and that I have and the agency and I, and I zoom in on that because because that's who I want to be. And I've tried being the, the, the real me. I don't know. The me that, that, that depressed me. I've, I've tried that. And it sucks. Right. So, <laughs> it's like, and I love it. People have, have said to me before, it's quite naive, though, to be positive. And I'm like, well, yeah, great. Let's, then I'm naive. I mean, I think after what, I, I don't think I am naive. But I'm, I'm happy to be in that camp. If it you means, know, my nickname. My, oh. my nickname is Glitter Shitter. So, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> oh my God, that's awesome. Because I am that person, like I exude joy and happiness, but it's not, it's not that I'm faking it. It's just that I am yeah. choosing to focus yeah. on the, the joys because you're right. I've been in that shitty place. I've been in that horrible place and I choose to wake up every day as well and just be like, you know thank you for this sunshine or hello, little ladybug or whatever it is and, and focus on that. So I get it. Shitter, shitter. I am so, you know what I'm going to do? I am going to, I get badges made with like little sayings. On, so I've got like glitter shitter. I'll work saves lives. I'll work changes lives. I'm going to get a glitter shitter badge made for you. And I am going to send it to you. Send it it's to like me. The most awesome nickname I have ever heard. I aspire to be a glitter shitter. It's <laughs> yeah, you know, it reminds me, I, I went, so I do some work in prisons. Um, every, like all the corporate work I do, sponsors work in educational health or prisons, because my I want to be able to do that without charging. So I'm in this prison, and it, in the, it's a category A prison, so there's like rapists and child molesters alongside people, like teenagers on remand. It's a crazy place. 
And, um, and in prison, you can do, uh, you, you have a job in the UK, you choose a job. So you can work in the kitchen where you get better food and you get like 25 pounds a week. Or you can take an education course where you get five pounds a week and you just get the regular rubbish food. Right. So I'm really intrigued as to why would you take an education course when you could do an actual and get paid? Because you have to buy your toiletries and everything. So I go in to speak to some prisoners and they come in. And this will, I'm, I'm being shown into this room by these two women. They're like this high, four foot on a peanut. They've got twin set and pearls on, like, you know, blue rinse on their hair. And one of them says, oh, you better sit here, my dear, because there's no cameras in this room. And I'm like, sorry, what now? No cameras? What does that mean? Should there be cameras? What does it mean if there's no cameras? Anyway, so I sit behind this desk and these guys come in. The first guy is built, like, as my nan would say, a brick shit house. He's a square. <laughs> He's all muscle. The next guy has got a, tattoo, a gun tattooed on his and gold teeth. And, and the next guy is bleached blonde hair and he's coming down. Also. And I'm sitting there like, I literally can't remember why I'm here. Why am I doing this? <laughs> I am going to die. If the fight breaks out, there's no cameras. And these two aren't going to be any, any help. They're 90 and 94. It's going to be me fighting them off. And I am no match for the first three, let alone... The, so I'm sat there and I literally can't remember. I am so scared. And I literally can't remember. I'm like, this is just, I just want to leave. I just want to leave. And as I'm sat there, I think, Jazz, get yourself together. Find some common ground. So I'm looking at them and I'm thinking, okay, so we're both human. So that means we are, we burp and we fart and we worry and we want better for our kids than we've had and we get scared. Oh God, I've got loads in common with these guys. So I start talking and we start talking about our stories and, and, they, and I say to one of them, why are you doing education? And he says, um, my son can't read. I don't want him to have my life. And I'm like, well, yeah, I, I'm the same as you. I'm the same as you. I want that too. I want better. I want my kids to be better than, I want them to have better than I had. So we're on the same page. What I didn't say is maybe consider a different career because you're crap at being a criminal because clearly you keep getting caught. But I didn't go there because that's irrelevant. So anyway, as we were talking, um, I said to them, they were saying the systems let me down, the care, school to foster home to alternative provision to prison and I'm like yeah I get it I get it and I said you know here's the thing you, after what's happened to you you're completely within your rights to be bitter and twisted and angry I mean just like that would be completely acceptable and one of them went but and I went oh god there's no but I mean end of story full stop you are within your rights to be bitter twisted angry hateful right. oh absolutely there is an and <laughs> and you can choose not to be you can choose something else. You can choose something better. But it is a choice. And people feel like I've got no choice. But it's like they're holding a big hula hoop and they're holding it so close they can't see the side. So if you just sort of push your head forward, you've made the choice. But that's the easiest choice. On the bottom of that hula hoop, there are tiny, like, lifesaver mints. We call them polo mints. The tiny mints with a hole in. Tiny hula hoops. And, and it takes someone else to shine a light on those for you to even see them. And you have to grease yourself up like the tiger in Madagascar 3 to even get through them. But they are there and they are possible. It's just a lot harder. But they are choices. And I think that when I start seeing stuff as choices rather than I have no choice, I have no agency, suddenly impossible things become possible. And, and that's that. So I sort of came up with that in this prison while I was sat there scared to death of having my head ripped off. By, by just regular lovely guys, really. I mean, yeah, they've done stuff, haven't we all? But um, but they, they feel stuck. They feel like they have no choice. And then they come out of prison, which is like systemized and you're looked after and you become kind of indoctrinated into that life, into the world where you aren't fed and you haven't got a bed and the gangs will make you feel like you belong. So you go straight back in. And it, it just feels like we need to be looking at more than what's in front of us. It, it's not what's in front of you. is not the entire story. 
ever. And so the, the choice aspect is something I've really struggled with because I don't want it to be a choice. I want it, to, honestly, Terry, I want it to be the world owes me a favor. This is not fair. And I've not been, I want it to be that. But I know that's not the truth. Right. <laughs> I know that I, choice, I can choose. And so that's why I think it's incredibly powerful when you embrace it. But, the, but this is like a 40 year journey. It's not like something I've just wake up one morning and go, oh, I'll just do it now. I mean, do, do you feel, when, do you, do you feel, can you say, what you've been through in life, where you are now, it's been worth it. Because I think that's a really good measure. Can you yes. say it, it's been worth it? Yes. And when, when could you say that? When I finally came, I, may, I went back into the darkness and I worked my way through it. I actually did a therapy called EMDR, which is... Oh, I'm, yes. 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 I loved EMDR. And it's so, a light, yeah. Yes. And so when I, I think when I finally was able to untangle that giant Christmas ball tangled light yeah. of, yeah. of chaos and, and just trauma um, and got through, and then I came out into the light. I mean, that's when I looked back and I was able to say well, what I told you of, of seeing the gifts within yeah. the chaos. Then I, then I was able to look at everything and go, oh, now I can take this and reach back into that darkness and take people's hands Right. And try to but, help but that them. took courage. You had to, you, you had to be authentic and vulnerable in order to do that therapy, to go through it. That is the step of courage is the yes. step off into the unknown, isn't it? Yeah. And so, but when you, having done that, you, you can't, you can't ever find out whether it's all worth it or not, whether there are gifts it until you take this huge risk. What yes. feels like a huge risk. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely correct. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, I, I always think that um, that we're we've got stages, and there's there's this stage suffering where you just got your head down and all you can see is the floor, and then there's surviving where your head's up but you're blinking, you're just looking at the problem and focusing, and then right. there's seeking where you're like looking for other answers, and finally serving where you can use what you know and what who you are in order to deliver something great for others. But what we want to do is we want to go from suffering, quick heal, quick plaster, serve. <laughs> it's like, guys, come on, you know, celebrate first, acknowledge, heal, celebrate, and then serve. But we, we want to, do, and I think, you know, there's a lot to be said for acknowledging and celebrating and being courageous. First. Yes. It's the journey, isn't it? You do it yourself before leading someone else into being 10% braver than usual. And how many times I've told people who are hurting, I know it's scary, and it, and it was, but you have to go back into that darkness. You have to go back into it. Yeah. Um, and that is that brave part. But I tell them all, you are so much stronger than you're giving yourself credit for. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's the best thing. I, I used to do, um, I did, st every time I have a baby, I've only had three, I don't do it for a hobby, but every time <laughs> I have a baby. Um, I, I have do, three. I do. It's great, isn't it? I love, I love three. Yeah. And yet, when we got three kids, there's always one that likes you. There, there will always be arguments. But if you've got three, if you've got two, sucks to be you because they will both hate you at the same time. If you've got three, there's always. Oh my gosh, it's so true. I just know. I love you, mummy. You're like, that's fine. <laughs> but, but it's just, it's just like this thing. It's true, isn't it? Isn't it? And it's usually the youngest one because they, they understand how to manipulate you more because they've watched the other two try and fail. <laughs> Yeah, I've got this parenting thing nailed. I'm oh so I'm so down. <laughs> but uh, but no, I forgot what I was talking about. Sorry, I forgot what I was going to say. But it, oh, it's, right. <laughs> I just I just find it really interesting the whole time, especially when you have 
children that there's my my nan used to say to me do as i do as i say not as i do and i'm like well what kind of role model is that you say something but you don't do it right you know right. and actually what what she's created is is who she is you you can only create what you already are so if you want to make a difference you've got to You've got to look inside first and and there are there, there's always a way and that way is often through <laughs> rather than round or under or over the it's through is is the only you know it's the quickest route isn't it yeah but uh but i think that that fear and that internal language of you know i'm not good enough because a lot of it comes back down to that i'm not good enough Right. And those were the messages we received, you know, that, that that's why I love all of this about ACEs, this adverse childhood experiences yeah. and all of the studies and, and yeah. about resilience is because, you know, we, we had these um, messages that we internalized and yeah. carried with us for so long of I'm not worthy and the shame, the shame part yeah. of it. Yeah. Um, but once we're able to get back in there and, and realize that, no, we, we aren't, who we were told we were. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah that, the ACEs test, that's the only test I've ever got full marks on. <laughs> 10 out of 10. Oh no, it's not a good thing. <laughs> but it, I remember sort of sitting thinking, oh gosh, does that mean I'm going to get diabetes? But right. It, yeah. Yes, me too. <laughs> I, I have a, yeah. yeah. I get I mean, a 10 out of 10 and I, and my dad had diabetes and I had that same thought like, oh my gosh, am I like now destined to get, you know, heart disease or diabetes? Yeah. I get it. But it's, it's the uninterrupted story. We're, we're, we're the other side of the interruption of the, of the like, I want, I, I used to get on my school reports, uh, serial disruptor. Uh, and I used to think, is that a good thing? Is that a good? Clearly it wasn't meant as a good thing. But you know what? It's a flipping brilliant thing to me <laughs> because it's, it's disrupting the negative ideas, the, the things we've been told. I'm rebranding re failure and coming across a new way, being able to flip that situation. And, it, and it's across the board, it's parenting, it's, it's work, it's business, it's education. And, and sometimes I, I, I sort of talk, one guy came up to me after a keynote, and it, I don't know why, but the men in particular, when I get, like I'll speak at a senior leaders meeting, CEOs, execs, you know, COOs, and, um, and it's men in particular, because I know what society says to men about, oh, suck it up, and, and you know, most of the violent crimes are committed, are committed by men. It's not rocket science. If you tell a whole half the population to suck it up and not show their emotion, clearly that's going to damage them in some way. Anyway, but what, what I know is, is in particular, when men come and speak to me, I've, I found it, it's, I'm just, it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. And one guy came to see me after I'd done a talk and he said, he, was, he said, I'm angry. I'm angry and I'm upset because I have a similar story to yours. And I'm a similar background and I'm 70 years old and I cannot, I cannot um, measure, I cannot connect the woman I see in front of me with the child I knew you were. Because if you are that as a child, you do not get to be this as, a, as an adult. That's that. And, and he was sort of, because he's 70. So it can't be, it can't be true that it's possible to, to live that, this life, to be healed, to be breathing fresh air it can't be true because his whole life has been about you're broken and, and it just I just I'm like oh yeah that yeah. would that I can understand the anger for that right but you're you're only 70 yeah <laughs> well what, what do you want to do for the next 20 years who right. do you want to be for the next 20 years and that's yeah. what I was just going to tell you my mom is 82 well now she just turned right. 83 in December but she just stopped drinking 
a year ago, April. Now she had one little fall where she fell back off the wagon on Valentine's Day, but she's back on it. But she went almost an entire year and I never thought in my entire life, but when she finally hit that rock bottom at 82 years old and was in detox and in the hospital, my sister and I sat down with her and we said, instead of being angry with her for all that had transpired in our childhood and, and her drinking again and just just how hurtful it was to us, we decided to talk to her, and so we cried and we talked. But I said to her, Mom, what happened to you in your life? Like, what? why are you self-medicating with alcohol? And we started to have these really powerful conversations and talks, and she started to open up to me about things that I never knew had happened to her. And I saw this shift in this 82-year-old lady that I was finally seeing the, my mom, like this this little girl that she had you know, stuffed away this, this child who had been molested and witnessed horrific things between her parents. And I mean, just horrible, horrible things that she had never talked about before. And as she started to open up about them, she started to heal it. She was able to stop drinking. And I'm telling you at 82 years old, yeah, beautiful. Never, too late. never too late to have a happy childhood. It's never too late. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, but it takes, it's help. That, I think that's what's interesting. I don't know if you find it, but a lot of people, I get a lot of disclosures. One of the things that I find is, um, you know, people kind of like feel they want to, they talk to me because they want to be what they think I am and what they see I am, who they see I am. Um, and I, I always feel like, you know, this is like Michelle Obama's arms. You don't get Michelle Obama's arms by sitting on the sofa with your fingers crossed, scoffing cake, hoping everything turns out okay. You get your bum, <laughs> you get to the gym, you get someone to force you to work out. And, and it's that thing, without help, without support, without connection, I don't know how you do this journey. I, I wish I did, and then it would be super easy. I think it's that thing of having that, that conversation your mum had with you, is suddenly someone listening, like actively listening and asking those questions and suddenly feeling, I, I can say this. And then... It, isn't it amazing? But the amount of people that just think, well, I'm just going to stop drinking. I'm just going to stop smoking. I'm just going to stop being an ass. You know, I'm just going to be a good person. It's like, really? Oh, fab. Let me know how that works. <laughs> just you on your own with no, nothing changing. Oh, that's great. I wish you the best. <laughs> but we do that. We tell ourselves, oh, I can do it alone. I don't, I don't need help. Right. So, yeah. No, I think community and having that tribe and having that, that, yeah, having that around you, it's critical, for yeah. sure. So I have to ask you one of my favorite questions that I love asking all of my guests because I love the answer. If you could meet anyone, dead or alive, to help you with your continued journey, oh. professionally or personally or both, who would it be? Oh, that's a good question. I know. Isn't it awesome? <laughs> I kind of I know. I kind of know the answer, and I've met him. And he touched this hand. Um, <laughs> well, Will Smith. <laughs> and it's not just because I fancy him. That's by the by. <laughs> I'm over that part. He has. So I went to, you know, the, he did a film, The Pursuit of Happiness, about yes. um, Chris Gardner, who was homeless, and his son yeah. was in it as well. So I went to the launch, um, the, the film launch of that here, the premiere. Um, uh, and Chris Gardner was there, and it's the Prince's Trust, a big charity that works with homeless, um, homelessness in the UK. And 
And I went to that and it's like, ah, it's Will Smith. And I'm there with like eight of my most screechy Will Smith fan friends. And my, my husband comes to try and try and just stop us from getting into trouble. And it's at the Dorchester Hotel, which has a long promenade. And there's a photo. I gave Ed my camera and I've got this very expensive camera because I used to be a photographer. I never let him touch it, but I let him hold it to get a photo of us in the Dorchester. And he's taking a picture. And in the photo, you can see my friend Amy on the end. Suddenly, like, we're all smiling and Amy goes because Will Smith comes in at that moment and he starts walking along the back of the wall and we're sat here. And I honestly, Terry, the work, my heart stopped. Like there was a, my heart physically, I couldn't breathe. And, I saw, and I'm like, slap it in my mind. I'm slapping all the, and I'm like, it. this is your one chance. This is your what, get over there. And I leapt like a gazelle from my seat, like no, into, in, in a perfect diagonal over to, and, uh, and I, I got to him and I, <laughs> I just, this is the reason why we and Will Smith aren't married. I put my hand out and I went, hi, I'm Jazz, you're my favourite. And I, I couldn't think of what else. <laughs> and, he, and he visibly recoiled. He visibly just sort of fell back at me and his bouncer stepped in. And then I, I must have looked horrified because I'm clearly not about to. <laughs> and he had, was so full of grace and he, he said, it's okay to the bouncer. And he took my hand and he said, Jazz, it's great to meet you. And I'm like, <laughs> so yeah, then I, I had no more words. But I knocked my own husband over. I mean, I literally <laughs> I knocked my husband to the ground. My husband's like a six foot two black man. I knocked him to the ground to get to Will Smith. Anyway, in the hall, so we're in the room, we're having dinner with him. Me and 700 other people are having dinner with Will Smith. <laughs> and, um, and we're all like, he gets up on stage and we all go bonkers, berserk. We're like, yeah! And we're taking photos and doing this. And he's like, and we, we won't stop. We won't, we're on our feet, we are there for the night. We're clapping, we're screaming, we're hollering. We're like, yeah, Will 2K, and we're doing this. And he starts talking and he speaks it, with gentle humility and authenticity into why he wanted to be in this film and why this film is important. And the whole room goes from this like crowd of like, ah! to suddenly just settling and listening and hanging on his every word. And he spoke from a place of, of truth and his heart and honesty and you could hear you know, the work and the commitment and the passion and the, the levels he was prepared to go to. You know, he talks about if we're on, we're going to get off or I'm going to die because I will not give up. I mean, that, it's kind of that mindset. And there's something about how he chooses to see the world and Jada as well. It's something about their relation, how they choose to see the world that I find completely like drawing. And, I, and that's, that's the sort of person I'd like to have dinner with Will Smith again, just me and him. But that's the sort of person that I, that's who I want to be around. It's like Usain Bolt always says, you've got to run against someone faster than you. So that's, that's the net, that's the level of, off the shazan of people who stand on that, that kind of belief of what courage looks like, what commitment looks like and, and vulnerability. And yeah, so I, I'm a huge kind of, fan of that and Jada Pinkett's round tables it's those courageous conversations yes and I I love that I'm such a fan of deep conversation yeah mm. who's yours who would you who would I you said, I say Mother Teresa and oh, yeah the reason yeah. I say Mother Teresa is because she she was not kind of like you go into the prison she was not afraid to go down into the trenches she was not afraid 
to hold those people with leprosy or reach out her hand to those and bring attention to those who are hurting so much. And um, I just, I love the idea of emulating her and the fact of just, you know, again, reaching back into the darkness or down into the trenches or however you want to say it and just helping those who are hurting and just saying, come on, I believe in you. You've got yeah. this. So it's, it's, it's like holding the door open after you've gone through it. Isn't yeah. It? That, yes. That's the whole thing. And I, I always feel like I had like a, I always talk about the teachers standing shoulder to shoulder with me in this chaotic fire that was my life. It's like I had a ring of fire around me. And there were some people that weren't bothered by the flames. They just walked over and stood with me. And that, that was in, you know, they didn't, it was about, it was about valuing me not rescuing me that's it's, i don't i didn't rescuing was you know I, I rebelled against that but being valued nobody rebels against being valued it's it draw it speaks to our soul oh you know yes. i think that's what she did with so so little words and i'm sure she was advised against a lot of what she oh did. yeah for sure yeah. yeah but she just she did it from her heart you know yeah yeah, yeah. So any um, myths or facts that you want to clarify for people um, that you can... Ah, myths. Yes, here's one. Um, it's brokenness. <laughs> so, so I used to talk about how I've gone from broken to beautiful. Now, either one of these truths is, is true. One of these statements, either you're not broken or we're all broken. <laughs> it's one of those. But it's that uniqueness. It's when people say, like in my kids' school, in their like first school, they had a creed. And part of this creed, they all learn it and they'll say, part of this creed says, you are unique. There has never been and never will be another you. And where it says you are unique, I always want to go just like everyone else. <laughs> but I think that's undermining it a bit. <laughs> <laughs> I get the idea, I get that. Right. <laughs> but it's this thing where we think like people deserve compassion. Everyone deserves kindness. Everyone deserves but not us, because there's something uniquely special about me that I am the only person on the planet that doesn't deserve kindness or compassion or love. And everyone else, yeah, but not me. That I'm so special that I don't deserve. And it's like, just literally, that makes no sense, does it? I mean, what is right. so special about you right. that you are the only one on the planet that doesn't deserve this? That, that's like, it, that's, that's crazy talk. It doesn't make any sense. And yet we say that. We, we, our internal languages, you know, I'm not worthy. I'm not worth it. I'm not good enough. And it's like, that makes literally no sense. That every, I believe everyone deserves kindness and I am a one. Therefore, I deserve kindness. So it's, it's a kind of simple math equation, really. But, um, but that, I think that's one of the biggest myths that I, I can't, I don't, I won't. It's, you know, that language of I can't, I don't, I won't, because I can't is all about skills. I can't yet. You know, I don't, I don't have the resources I, I need in order to do this. So go get them. So what do you need to do? And right. I, I don't is expectation. I don't expect, I expect to fail. So I don't try. And I won't is, is mindset. So I, I won't even try. And, and actually, when we start on picking those things and flipping them, suddenly we realize all these potential. And, and my friend's really into Ganesh because uh, Ganesh is the Hindu god. Is it Hindu god? Remove the elephant with lots of arms. Oh, um, yeah. Removal of obstacles. And I love it. She's got little elephant. This is an elephant. She's got elephants everywhere and she's got a little Ganesh. And she talks about, you know, there are, there are obstacles and we need removing those obstacles shows us a whole world behind the obstacles. So, so I think that's one of, that's the biggest myth 
that it's, you know, that there's something wrong with me. Yes. Because that's our brain trying to make sense of stuff. Like it's closing a story loop. It's like going to see a film where the, the ending is, it's not a happy ending or it's not resolved. Our brain is trying to resolve all this has happened. Oh, it must be because there's something wrong with you. Oh yeah, there's something wrong with me. Great. So your brain's happy, but you, <laughs> right. you know, it's, yeah, it's like we're trying to solve the story. It's, it's what our brains do because it's, yeah, it's burning too many calories. You know, but, uh, I, I, when we're finishing up the manuscript for a book and for yeah. the longest time, like I've been writing this book, what feels like forever. And, um, for the longest time I thought, well, I can't share my story, like, you know, get on a stage and tell my story, or I can't write this book because I'm still broken, is what I was telling yeah. myself. Yeah. Then I came to the realization that the beauty of my story is that I can live this life of joy and peace while still broken. Yes. But it's it's that it's not that I'm broken, it's that I'm on this healing journey. And so yeah. Yeah, that's what I try to convey to people is that, you know, we've all had horrific things happen to us in our life. We've all had trauma. We've all had something that's that's happened to us. Um, everybody's on a journey. Um, yeah. But to be able to, to live a life of peace and joy, even while in the midst of that journey, that that's where the beauty lies. So. Have you, you know, you remind me, have you heard? Kintsugi, K-I-N-T-S-U-G-I. Uh -huh. You've got to Google it after this. So Kintsugi is the Japanese art of repairing something that's like a bowl. So here's a bowl, it breaks. So they repair it, but they repair it with gold leaf. Oh. So what you get is this, it, the, the broken and repaired object is more beautiful than the object when it was whole. Because the scars are golden and that's the healing. So kints is the, and the word for that is kintsugi. It's sort of healing. It, it's a it's something that has been broken and has been restored and is now more beautiful than when it was whole. And and I I love that. Yes, love that's that. beautiful. Yeah, and if and I use that when I'm in talks. I put the bowl up. I put a picture of the bowl with the the veins in, and I talk about what that looks like. And because we can all identify with being broken, but if we if if the answer is we wait until we're fixed and then we can talk, right? Well, die before we're going to be fixed <laughs> what does that look like what i know because like? if it means being the parent i want to be never going to happen if it means <laughs> being you know sorted and having, never going to happen it, the, the, the joy is in living is in finding the joy in where you are and who you are it's not like working for 70 years retiring and then being too ill to travel and enjoy your retirement it's it's enjoying at the space and time it's acknowledging and celebrating in that moment isn't yes it? So, but yeah, I think that Kintsugi kind of just really captures that in, in the essence of that. Yeah, for sure. Well, I could sit and talk to you, you know, for another, I don't know, 17 hours. Come <laughs> <laughs> to my house, let's have tea. I'm just across the pond, don't you? I know. I cannot wait. I have never been to the UK oh. and it is on my wish list. So I'm, I'm going to oh. come say don't hi when I get over there. without telling me you're here. I'll, I will, I will, I, I will reach out. Yes. yes, do. And you have to let me know about the TED Talk because it will be videoed and I can see it. I, I'm, I'm hanging out. I am so excited that you get Thank the opportunity you. to do that. It's very special. Thank you. I'm very excited too. So I, I will keep you posted. So anything else that you want to share with our audience that we didn't touch on? Gosh, we've covered so much, haven't we? I, I think it's just the, the thing of it, it's, it's that, you know, 
what do you want? <laughs> it's, I always say to people, what do you want? And then I let them talk and then I go, right, so what do you really want? <laughs> because actually, you need <laughs> so it's, it's, I would encourage people, I love this whole thing of current reality, future vision, next step. You don't need to have your future mapped out. You don't need an impact roadmap. You just need to know where are you now? What does, what do you look, what's your life look like now? Where do you want to be? What does a good Terry look like? What's a good jazz look like? What, what does that, what do you do? What do you, who do you hang out with? What do you have for lunch? Where do you spend the weekends? What do you do? And then we've got these two pictures. And then at that point we could get quite depressed because where we are, and where we want to be is so far. <laughs> all we need to do, if we've got clarity around that, all we need to do is look at what's the smallest possible, tiniest next step I could take to get me from where I am in the general direction of where I want to be. And it might even be just literally turning our head slightly in that direction, <laughs> the smallest thing. But that's how you start a journey. That's how you start a revolution from the ground up, not from someone giving you a bazillion pounds and going, oh, solve all your problems. <laughs> it's, it's you. Everything you need is already there. It's, it's just you making the choice to start the journey with the smallest step. I think that's kind of my big message. Yes. And that's beautiful. And absolutely. Amen. Woohoo. <laughs> oh, it's so much fun talking to you. I'm so glad you exist. I'm oh, so glad you're so you are cute. a phenomenal human female. I'm so glad for this podcast and for what you do. What a gift. What a gift. Oh, to give thank you. And absolutely. I, I could not agree more. You, you're, my face is going to hurt from laughing and smiling. <laughs> Like I can feel my cheekbones tomorrow. I'm going to be like, oh, <laughs> again, and you, you are an absolutely beautiful gift. And thank you thank for, you. thank you for, um, yeah, just sharing your soul and sharing your heart and, um, being willing to, you know, to, to reach your hand out and help others along their journey. So it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Well, let me do a quick little close out. Everyone. Thank you for joining us here today. And until next time, remember to be gentle with yourselves. Thanks. Bye-bye.